0: Of a well, second week of a of a sermon, a you know, series where I'm trying to look at Jesus and and how he dealt with the different difficulties and problems that face face all of us. It's kind of a problem solving, uh, deal, a uh, sermon series. And and last week we looked at how Jesus uh, uh, dealt with uh, opposition and how he how he managed that and how he dealt with the idea that uh, that God wasn't always going to fix things right off. You know, sometimes you had to go through a hard stretch, and we talked about that last week. I want to talk about that again today and about how to use your one and only life and what's the best use of your one and only life, and, and that's something else that Jesus had to deal with, certainly that Jesus is God, but, but, um, but while He was here, He's just one man in one place confined by limits of space and time, and so I wanted to think about that uh, today too. And if it's your first week, um, you're not behind. It's not really that way the way this sermon series is going to work. I'm hoping that all these things kind of stand on their own now the series has just kind of kind of helped me to get through my focus. We're going to be in Matthew. I'm going to have it on the screen too. But if you want to read in Matthew, it's Matthew chapters last part of chapter nine and then first part of chapter ten there that we're going to be looking at. So if you want to look at that too, you can. But I'll have it on the screen here in a minute uh, as well. Uh, Alfred Nobel. Uh, you've heard Nobel. You've heard of him because of the Nobel Peace Prize and the Nobel Prizes that they award every year in Norway there. But he, uh, uh, when he was uh, 55 years old. He had already been very successful. He was a, a, a chemist and an engineer and an inventor, and a, they had made a lot of money selling weapons. Uh, Nobel had invented dynamite and had made a lot of money uh, selling uh, uh, armaments. And, and his brother, when he was 55, his brother Ludwig died. And, uh, but the local paper uh, didn't know that it was, got it confused, thought that, it was, that Alfred had died. And so they put as a headline, "A Merchant of Death is Dead. That was the headline. And then the first sentence of the article was, uh, uh, the merchant of death who became rich by finding ways to kill people faster than anyone ever has, has himself died. And when Alfred Nobel read that, he was horrified. That This this is how people are going to remember me when I died? This is what people are going to think about my life. And so he devoted the rest of his life, the last ten years of his life, to, to, to awarding and seeking out those people who were advancing causes of peace. And the Nobel Peace Prize is still something that's gone because of that gift that he made to it and because of the start that he gave to it. He just, When he had a chance to think about how he would be remembered, he wanted to change the script. He, he couldn't take the idea of, of being remembered that way. And I think that's interesting. I think that's a, a, what, a, what, a, what an opportunity for someone to, to see, okay, well, here's, how I'm, here's the road I'm going on, to see it clearly like that and to be given a small chance to make some changes. I, I think that's a gift. And I wonder what my obituary would say. If, if, if we could look at the end of my life and think about what people would say about me when I'm gone, how they would remember me and how they would think of me, is it the things that I want? Because ultimately, at the end of your life, that's all that's really gonna matter. How do people feel about me? You know, you may have a lot of achievements, um, but when you're on your hospital bed at the very end and the doctor has told you there's nothing else we can do, If you have all your plaques surrounding you, it's not going to make you feel better. If they could bring all your money out of the bank and just lay it around you in piles, that won't make you feel better. The only thing that's going to make you feel better in those moments is the people who you've invested in. You know, what are they going to say about you? What are they going to think about you? What you're hoping is that when you go, people around your casket are talking about the difference you made in their life. I remember one funeral where I had to do, and the the kids, the adult kids of the guy who had died... They didn't know him at all. You know, what would you think about your dad? What kind of guy was he? I don't know. I never knew him. You hope that when you get to the end of your life, that's not the story that you've told. You hope at the end of your life that that's not the legacy that you're living. Because it, it, at that moment, all that's going to matter is the relationships. And I think Jesus knew that. I think he knew that kind of intuitively. And so when it comes to that great problem that we have, that all of us have, how are we going to spend our life? Am I spending it the right way? I think Jesus was prepared with a great answer for that. Now, first of all, just again, to set kind of the the framework, Rick Warren, I used this quote last week and talked about it. Rick Warren said that life is a series of problem-solving opportunities. And uh, every opportunity gives you a chance to either... Uh, defeat you or develop you right everything that comes along is an opportunity to either grow or to shrink back and and even if you've made several bad decisions in a row even if you've kind of dug a pretty good hole for yourself every new opportunity is a new chance to take a step in one direction or the other and it's not hopeless as long as you're breathing that was kind of the lesson of the Nobel um, his his story as long as you're breathing it's not over And you can change the script. Now, the problems that we face, of course, we talked about this last week. Sometimes God will solve them for us. Some awful thing has happened, and we pray about it, and we get other people in church to pray about it, and it's fixed. You know, the son comes home, or the business is saved, or, or the cancer is gone. And whenever that happens, that's awesome. But that's not how God works most of the time. We talked about that last week. Last week, John the Baptist had an issue because he's in jail, and he wonders if Jesus is going to fix things and when he's going to fix things, and, and God did not set John free right off. In the Old Testament, uh, God told David that he was going to be his chosen guy, but David still had to face the giant. And he still just stand out there all by himself. God didn't spare him from that. And even in Jesus' own life, you see many, many, many examples where 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 God doesn't spare him the hard thing that's coming. He 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 lets Jesus go through it. Even when he was born, uh, the shepherds in the field see a vision of angels, and the wise men come and see a vision of stars. But Mary and Joseph don't see anything. All they see is a closed indoor, and they don't know how to where they're going to stay that night, and what are we going to do, and and God lets them figure it out. And most of the time, in your life, that's what God's going to do too. Even on this really important thing, how do I spend my one and only life? What should I invest myself in? Even on that, God's going to let you work on it and, and figure it out by yourself. So what I want to do today is talk about Jesus and how he approached that problem and what Jesus did uh, to deal with it. So here we go. Chapter uh, 9 of Matthew. Uh, Jesus went through the towns and the villages and he was teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and sickness. Now Josephus, uh, who's a historian who wrote about the same time, it's not in the Bible, he wrote outside the Bible, he said that Galilee at this time had several cities that were over 15,000 people. So Jesus is going through that region and he's preaching and he's teaching, but there's just so many people. And he can't get to all of them. There's just no way he can. He's doing the best he can, but he's still just one guy, and he can't get to them. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, and, and a lot of these words deserve a little more comment, so, so bear with me. That first word of compassion is a Greek word, spilaktomai, and I can't say it correctly, but the idea is, is a terror of the guts. It, it's, it's a really, really evocative word. In modern English, it might be heartbroken or I was all torn up inside. You know, it, just, it, just, it just crushed me inside. It's that kind of deal, like your insides are being rended. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he just, he just brokenhearted about it. It just affects him, right? So, so that's a big difference between Jesus and me and probably a big difference between Jesus and some of you. When I see the crowds, I see something in my way. If I'm at a concert or a ball game or a, or a work trip or traffic and there's crowds, well, they're in my way. There's things I need to do and they're messing that up. And Jesus didn't see people that way. I think that's interesting. He saw the people and his heart broke for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. So the, the lesson of this verse here is that most people that you run across are carrying a big load and they don't know what to do about it. Most people that you run across are carrying something pretty heavy and they don't know what to do. And you know this is probably true because so many of you are carrying something heavy and don't know what to do about it, right? So it's likely that you're not the only one. It's likely that other people you run. And when Jesus saw that and there's all these crowds and they're all carrying all this stuff and they can't do anything about it, it just broke him up inside. We've we've got to do something is his thinking. We've got to fix this. We've got to help these people, which, again, is not what I think when I see a big line at the concession stand or a big line at Walmart. I don't think that way. I, I think about how they're in my way, and Jesus didn't do that. He said they're like sheep without a shepherd. Um, shepherd is always an evocative thing in, in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, David and Moses were shepherds uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were all shepherds. God frequently used shepherds as his people to, to do something uh, uh, for a thing. And, and he uses that imagery in some of the famous Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And that God has a heart for us like a shepherd does. Now a rancher gets behind all the animals and drives them forward with whips and stuff, but, but a shepherd goes first and he guides the people and he takes care of them. And, and so, Jesus has that shepherd's heart for the people. He looks at them, and they need somebody. Uh, sometimes, uh, we've, we've um, sterilized the word just a little bit. The Latin word for shepherd is pastor, which we made as an English word, pastor. And, and, and so, uh, the minister might be called the pastor. You might call me Pastor Jeff or, or, or something like that. That might be something people would use. And, and so it kind of takes the burden off, right? Well, that's your job. You're a shepherd. I'm not one. You're a pastor. not me. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, he's saying these people need shepherds right now. They need somebody right now to come in and be part of that. And then he, he turns it on them immediately. So he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We'd ask God to send more people. We can't just wait for professionals to take care of this. We got it needs more help. It needs more help right now. Sometimes in Christian church, we resist that language of a pastor, like that being my title. We, we we wouldn't say, "Don't call me a pastor," because the elders are the pastors. The elders are the shepherds, and there's some truth to that too. But but again, that same temptation. Yeah yeah yeah. That's their job. It's not my job. That's what they do. That's not what I do. And I do agree that if I'm a professional pastor, then I should be working harder at it than most. And I do agree that if a person claims to be an elder, they should be leading the charge on this thing. I don't disagree with any of that. That's certainly true. But, but what's Jesus saying here? We need more people. We need them right now. People who will see the crowd like I see the crowd. People whose hearts will break for the crowd like my heart breaks for the crowd. People who will reach out to the harassed and helpless and give them a hand. And so he says, we, we need to pray about this right now. So, uh, we're going to pray about it right now. We're going to take like 30 seconds here in a second, and we're going to pray about it right now. I should mention, the danger of asking God to send someone is that He might send you. So, you have freedom, if you don't want to pray this right now, to keep your eyes open. To just think in your head, watermelon, 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 or, or like uh, puppies, or snakes, or whatever it is that would distract you. Just think about that for a second, and then you can come back. It'll be very fast. But for those of you who are willing, let's pray about that quickly. Pray with me. Dear Lord God, I pray right now that you send workers into the harvest field. There are so many people who are harassed and helpless. We've got to do something, God. Send people. Send somebody. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all come back. If you did take a break there, everybody come back. I want to think about this here as, as best we can. The problem is we live in a community full of harassed and helpless people. The problem is we don't have enough people to get it done. Now, you could approach this kind of simplistically and say, okay, well, what we got to do then is is that we got to appoint six people to go to our 10 people or 25 people, or we got to do some training, or we got to do something like that. You, you might think that the solution here is obvious. Here's what we've got to do. And and, and, and we've tried some of those things and, and we believe them. We, we, we do small groups and and classes, and, and ministry teams, and even softball teams. And we try and all those things to encourage people to, to, to lean on one another, to take care of each other, to, to pray for one another. And all those things are valuable. They are, but there's still so many more people. And there's not really a program. Sometimes the reason why we do a program of any sort at all is so I can assign this to someone, or assign it to a certain day of the week, and then I don't have to think about it any other time. And I don't think it's how Jesus approached this. I think his heart was breaking. I think he knew that for it to really work out, everybody has to have this kind of heart. Everybody's got to start seeing this as something that's important. It's all about relationships. Now, when you go to work you that's not on your job description when you were hired at your work that they had put down hey it's all about relationships you right i mean they didn't and when you're at work you've got to work hard you've got to produce whatever it is you produce and and i'm sure there's quotas and people watching you to keep you accountable and you've got to do all those things and that's that's great but as a christian you're at work for those people you're, you're there to love on them and lift them up and take care of them you might be the only light they get to see you, you may have a knucklehead for a neighbor, and, and they're just such a pain, and they're so loud, and they're so, they're, they're messy, or they're, they're, not, they're not nice. Maybe they let all their leaves and blow over into your yard. You've got a whole yard full of walnuts because of some ungrateful neighbor beside you, and, and that's an awful thing, and that's a pain, and that's, that's miserable, and if that's happening to you, you may even, they're kind of an enemy of yours, but why does Jesus want us to love our enemies? Because you may be the only light they get to see, and, and it's not just that you're in the neighborhood to, to pass time. You're there for, to be there for him. You're there to be there for him whether you're on the soccer team or whether you're on the, 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 the road crew or, or whether you're in the army. You're there for him. You're always there for him. It's all about the relationships, and we need more people to step up and take that seriously. I think about the ones who did that for me. When I was just a freshman in high school, an older guy named Douglas kind of took me under his wing, first of all, at 4-H. We became friends in 4-H, and he was showing me how to do different things to the animals and help me there, and he invites me to go to camp with him. And I, I really wasn't even that serious about church, but he invited me to go to camp with him. And sure, I'll, I'll go to camp. That sounds fun. And the first day, I was wondering what I'd signed up for. I was ready to leave the first day. I was a little homesick and, and kind of got picked on by somebody. And what's going on? And I wanted to go home, and, but, but, but God worked on me that whole week. And, and by the end of the week, I wanted to be a Christian. What if Douglas hadn't done that for me? Well, I don't know what would have happened. I may have figured it out anyway, but I don't know. And then when I went to church, there was this older guy named Lee who took me under his wing, and he, and he answered all my stupid questions, and I had so many questions. Um, I was such a smart mouth uh, then, much more so than I am today, which may be a surprise to some that it's even possible. But I, but I was, and, and, and he would listen to me, and, and he, would, he, would, he would hear what I had to say, and he would be so patient. And it was a busy guy. He, he had a lot to do, but he took time for me. I mean, when I went to camp, my first job, big job, was work at that very church camp that I, that I had become a Christian at. And, and Bruce took me to the side So I think you ought to think about ministry. I think you'd be good at it. And if he hadn't pushed me, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe I would have anyway. I don't know. And I can look at that over and over and over again in my life where people just came and, and they took me under their wing at just the right time. And, they, and because of their input in my life... It made such a difference. A few weeks ago, Eric Easton, one of our elders, got up and talked about some of the real pillars of the church of, of two or three generations ago. And how when Eric was just a little boy, they invested in him. I mean, everybody's got stories like that, don't they? I mean, people who came along at just the right time. And if they hadn't been there, I don't know what would have happened to me. Well, they're gone now. So who's going to be the guy doing it now? Well, it's got to be us. We've got to be the one to step up and, and answer this call that Jesus had. It's got to be us that take, a, take advantage of the time. You only get one life. This is the best way to use it. Now, if you're in your Bible and you're reading along and you're, you followed me there, Matthew 9, the very last paragraph there, is about, is about the stuff we just read. Matthew 10, the, the very next chapter, he grabs the disciples and says, okay, let's go do it. And he tells them to go out there, and he gives them lots of advice as they go out there. And I wanted to focus on some of the advice he gave them because some of that uh, relates to us too. First thing, give it away freely. You know, it was given to you free. You give it away freely. Don't feel like you've got a, they don't owe you anything. They may not appreciate it. They, they may not thank you over and over again. Sometimes you'll, you'll help somebody and serve them and do some nice thing for them, and they won't even say thank you, let alone pay it back. don't worry about that you just give it away freely he says as you go in Matthew 10 proclaim the kingdom of God has come near so go heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons you've received it freely give it away freely don't expect anything back Um, sometimes you'll be treated like a servant if you start being kind to people sometimes people will take advantage and that's okay It really is, because Christ served you first. So don't let that rattle your cage when that happens. He says, listen to God's Spirit. If you make a decision to answer this call, that you're going to be one of the guys who go out and do it, well then, listen to God's Spirit. If I talk about doing this, the normal response I get from people is, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know how to talk about it. I wouldn't have the right answers. I would just make it worse. Now I, I talked about a few weeks ago that as a, I'm kind of an introvert, and at parties it's awful for me because I, at a party I don't have, I'm terrible at the small talk stuff, I, I'll, I'll meet somebody, I, talk, I told you all this, I'll meet somebody, hey I'm Jeff, hey I'm Chuck, okay Chuck, and then I got nothing, I don't know what to say after that and I just sit there and we stare at each other and then that's the end of that. And my evangelism approach is very similar to that. Um, have you ever considered, uh, you know, Jesus or church? No? Okay. And I don't, I don't always know what to say next, right? I don't always know what to do next. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. Uh, just step out there. Now, now, what he's talking about here in this next verse, he says, when they, when they arrest you. Now, of course, you're not getting arrested. I mean, no matter how bad it goes, you're probably not getting arrested. So when they arrest you, so even if it was worse, this would apply. How much more does it apply on these little things where it isn't even that but When they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. And it won't be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. If I've ever made a difference to anybody in the words that I'm saying, it can only be because of God. Because, again, in my nature, I'm just terrible at this sort of thing. In my, in my personality, it's very hard to want to jump out there and take a bold step. So he says, he says don't worry about it. Just take the step. You know, when you've asked God to send out workers and you feel like God is sending you, then just take the step. And if you fall on your face, that's okay. I mean, it happens. It, 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 it's not fun, but it's not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is not to move when you're told to by God. The worst thing in the world is to waste your life. He goes on. He said, expect some challenges. Expect it to be difficult sometimes. Just because I'm sending you out doesn't mean that God says that I'm going to make it easy. Here's the verse on that. He says, the student's not above a teacher and the servant's not above the master. It's it's enough for the students to be like their teachers or a servant to be like their master. And if the head of the house, and he's talking about himself here, he's talking about Jesus, he's the teacher, he was the one we're talking about. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, which is not nearly as big an insult today as it would have been then, but it's like you're the Lord of the flies, literally, but you're a son of Satan. He says, they call me names, what do you think they're going to do to you? He says, and and for you to think that somehow you should be above that when I've not been above that, well, that's crazy. Point being, again, going to that, that thing I told you a second ago, you say, well, if, if I tell you, like we're having a conversation. Say, Rick and I are having a conversation. Rick, I need you to go do And So we're having a conversation. Go tell him. Rick says to me, I don't know what I would say. Go tell him anyway. So Rick goes out and tells me, and it goes terribly. Then Rick comes back to me and says, hey, see, I told you. I'm just no good at this thing. Jesus says, that's not at all a sign that you're not good at it. They said, they made fun of me, Jesus said. I went out and brought up what I was going to do, and, they, and they, 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 they had bad words to say to me. So don't think you're better than me. And no, none of you would say in your head even, I'm better than Jesus. But don't, don't assume that, right? I mean, it, it's hard for everybody. It's hard because you're, you're, you're taking property of Satan away from him, and he's fighting you tooth and nail. It's hard because people, even though they're harassed and helpless, they all think they're on the right track, and they don't quickly warm up to other people's opinions. And, and so it's okay, Don't be rattled by that. Last thing. Just be bold. Just be bold. He says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body but can't kill your soul. He says, rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I'll acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I'm going to disown them before my Father in heaven. And you can read this a couple different ways, I suppose, but it seems to me that he's saying, if you're not willing to be part of the solution on this thing, then you are part of the problem. He does seem like he's saying, if you're not willing to take a step forward on this regard, then, then, then are you sure you're even a Christian? This is all part of this. This is all part of this together. We're all working for this thing together. There's so many people out there who are harassed and helpless. They don't know anything about why things are the way they are, and you do. And you could love on them, and you could help them. Now, if you're like me, you may not even notice people right now. You're just kind of rolling along, but, 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 but they're there, and, and we're here for a reason. So let's do what we can to reach out. Somebody sent me a uh, video on social media. It was a, a little clip. It's a cartoon clip. And it was a phone. And the phone has got little legs and he's marching ahead. And, and Facebook and stuff sc- on pictures or scroll, maybe on Instagram. But social media stuff scrolling on the phone as the phone's going away. And there's a kid following it, right? Following the phone. and He's just completely transfixed by it. Has the little squirrely eyes there. He's just completely roped in. And then he trips, and when he trips. He hits his head there on the ground. He wakes up and he can see the sun and there's there's a swing and a tree and grass and stuff. And the phone's mad at him because he's not got the full attention. So the phone starts tossing likes at him. And then the kids right back in there again. You know, the kids completely focused on the phone. And and again trips. Now it's nighttime and there's stars and there's a city and there's people around. And the, and so the phone gets him on a game. Some uh, you know now you've got new levels and new arenas and new realms and new uh, ranks and, and so he's ranking up and he's leveling up and he's doing all the different things and he's just wasting his life. That's the point of the video. It reminded me of a of a documentary we saw about Instagram and TikTok and all those things. Why isn't there more advertising on those things? Well, you're the commodity. You're the commodity and all that. You're the product and they just want to keep your eyes on that screen as long as they can. If they keep your eyes on that screen then then they can do little things through it to sell to advertisers, do little things through it, but you're the product. It reminded me of Vegas. If you go to Vegas and you go to the casinos, one thing you'll notice is there's not a lot of natural light in the casinos, right? They don't want you to be aware that the sun is going through the sky. They don't want you to be aware when nighttime gets there. You won't find any clocks in the casino. There's no clocks. They want time to just kind of float by for you, and you not be aware of how quickly it's passing. And it's the same principle. If they can just keep you there, right? Vegas principle, the casino principle, if they can just keep you there, they'll eventually get everything. I mean, the house may lose a hand or two. You may get lucky for a a while. But if they can keep you there long enough, they'll get it all. That's the whole way it works. So they want you real foggy about your time. Same way that Facebook and TikTok want you real foggy about your time. They want time just to fly by and you not to notice. And I'm not suggesting that Instagram or casinos either one are satanic. I, I don't mean that. But, but as a strategy, there's a devilish component to all that to get you to waste your life, to consume you by making you forget how fast things are flying by. Some people don't do that at all with uh, with those things. They they do it with other things. They, uh, they invest in a career, and they just work so hard on their career to get so much more rank or money or whatever, and there's always another level out there, right? There's always another rank out there, and if I could just get to that ring... And that would finally be enough. But once you get to that ring, there's one further out. And, and they just spend their whole life building this thing. And there's nothing wrong with building stuff. There's not. But it's all about relationships. Some people can do it with, uh, uh, with an addiction. Can lose 10 years of their life, 20 years of their life. Just wasting time. It's just such an easy thing to do because all of us are harassed and helpless. All of us are carrying this big load. There's such a temptation to think, "Well, I could just escape for a minute, right, and do this other thing, and then I'll come right back." And uh, but the escape doesn't rejuvenate us—not like we think it would. You go to vacation and you come back more tired than when you left. You sit down to watch some television. I'm going to veg out. No one ever gets up after four hours of television and says, wow, that worked. You know, I'm really better now. I feel so much better. You think about that this afternoon about five after your first four hours of football. And you remember that I said that. Um, it's not enough. The stuff that's really going to feed your soul, right? Right? It's to grab somebody and help them along. To find somebody who's further down the path than you are and, and help them along. And I want to pray about that again. Same way I prayed about it earlier, um, you don't have to do it. If you say, I'm not interested. It's not for me. I'm not going to do it. There's no pressure. Just don't pray with me. Think about something else. Put your mind somewhere else you know? But if you have the courage to pray it with me, then I, I want you to pray with me here. Pray with me here. Dear Lord God, we just pray right now that in our community of Bedford, there's so many people who are harassed and helpless, who are overloaded and need a hand. God, raise up people to meet the need. Raise up people, God, to make a change. Raise up people, God, to shine a light. And if you can't find God, Enough qualified people, then use me. Jesus' name, amen. Have the band come back up.